104.5 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 104.5thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm certainly happy to have you with me here in the middle of another week. Hopefully a week closer to getting this country back open, at least to some degree. But I hope you're doing well. Hope your family is doing well. We got a lot to get to tonight. My name is Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartradio. And you can read my stuff at 1045thezone.com slash big6blog. So we may do some different stuff here this evening. There's some sports stuff out there, but I'm just going to talk to you about some things that I find interesting right now. And one of them, before we even talk about it, let me tell you a story. And this is, look, of course, this is the night that I make this decision, okay? So I write about TV and I write about movies. And so I, you know, I'm constantly, and I'm, you know, I have all these services. I have to have all these services. It's the only way that I can consume all of this kind of thing. And, you know, it's just part and parcel for what goes on. Everybody that works at this radio station has all the sports networks. I don't know that we all would if we weren't part of the industry that we work in, at least not some of these regionals and things like that. They might, but it depends on how much money you're making as to what you're willing to spend in that regard. But one of the services I have is Amazon Prime. And I've had things on my watch list for a long time and things that I wanted to go and watch. And last night I make the decision. My wife falls asleep after we watch an episode of Picard. And so now it's my turn to figure out something. And Final Fantasy VII Remake is in the offing, and that ends up happening a little bit later on in the evening. And I'm really enjoying the first few hours I've played of that. But I'm like, okay, finally, I'm going to start 2005 Doctor Who Christopher Eccleston. I've tried this before and I've bailed, but I'm going to stick to it. And I've got time right now and it's a series I've always really wanted to just really get into and allow to, you know, watch enough of it to really allow for it to sink in. I know how popular it is. So I'm all set. So I go to Amazon Prime and go to start the episode. I had watched a few already, but this was months ago, so maybe I'm just going to go back and rewatch the first couple again and, and get set up. And I'm going to watch Eccleston, and I'm going to watch David Tennant, and then I'm going to watch Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi and uh, the newer stuff as well. And all of a sudden, I go to click play, and I find out it's no longer on Amazon Prime. And this gets me wondering, okay, what's going on? Is it on Hulu now? Has it moved? I mean, it's on Amazon. You can still buy it, but now you have to buy it. It's not part of the you know, the free streaming. So I research it, and I look it up. And I find out that Doctor Who's exclusive streaming rights have been sold to HBO Max, to their upcoming service. This huge AT&T, it's basically AT&T that owns it, but HBO Max, which is supposed to hit next month, has bought the rights to a lot of services. They paid what? half a billion dollars, I think, for Doctor Who and another half a billion for Friends, which isn't, they were originally going to debut this service with a Friends reunion special. 
that has now been pushed because of COVID-19 because they don't want to do this thing remotely. They want to actually be in studio to do it. But they've bought rights to Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, obviously, with Warner Brothers tie-in with AT&T and Turner and everything else. So they have a lot of big properties. The office is going to hit in 2021, the British office at least. But there's a lot of major things. They also spent half a billion dollars on the Big Bang Theory. So they're going to be the exclusive home of one of the most successful and highly rated, just in terms of viewership, comedies of all time. So they're making this wager. Plus you get, of course, HBO's catalog for, what, $14.99 a month, which is pretty high. But I started thinking about other stuff here. First off, I was just like, well, this sucks. I was all set for Doctor Who. I was geared up and ready, and now I guess I have to wait until HBO Max opens up because I'm not going to pay by the episode or by the season to watch Doctor Who. I mean, I'll just I'll find something else that's on my backlog that I haven't gotten to uh, until HBO Max opens up, and then I'll go grab HBO Max. Now, depending on who your service provider is, you may have to pay the 15 bucks a month or it may be included and all, you know, all this kind of stuff. But if you remember months back, I talked about how eventually this whole thing was going to play itself out, that the a la carte method with, with which we consume television was going to change, and that eventually somebody was going to come up with a brilliant idea to bring all these services together under one package, and that would be the equivalent of cable all of a sudden, but with a new twist with all of the backlog libraries and everything else. But... I mean, you start to think about this. Peacock is coming, and Peacock is going to have a free uh, ad-supported model plus paying for it, and that's NBC's, and that's going to have your Olympics and your NBC Sports and uh, the office, the U.S. office, Parks and Rec, you know, all of those kinds of things, ER and, and many of those kind of shows. Actually, ER may be part of the other deal because there's deals being signed for various services all over the place. You have all of these different streaming services that have different content. Netflix is the one where if I had stock in them right now, I would consider getting away from that stock as fast as possible because Netflix in particular is going to get hurt the most by this. Netflix was kind of the catch-all where for a time you had everything. There was Seinfeld there for a while. Friends was there. The Office was there. Uh, all of these movies, some of the Hobbit films were there. Lord of the Rings films were there for a time. You would just have all this access to things, uh, the Marvel films. And now what are you seeing? Well, Disney's got their own. NBC's going to have their own. CBS All Access already pulled you know, the CSIs and stuff onto their service. And now you've got HBO Max, which is directly going after Netflix. Because if you look at the movie catalog, uh, all of the original stuff they're doing from the DC Comics universe, including a Greg Berlanti Green Lantern series. And if you know who Greg Berlanti is, he's the guy behind the Arrowverse and Riverdale. There's a Riverdale spinoff. There's all of these things that are designed to draw you over there for 15 bucks a month. That's not quite as cheap as the $6.99 Disney Plus, for example. So what are you going to do? If you want to see stuff on all of these services, are you going to pay for this, all of this, or are you going to pick and choose what you like the most, or are you going to do what I think the vast majority of people are going to do, which is when Stranger Things comes out, I'll get Netflix for a month, and I'll binge that with my family, and we'll enjoy whatever they have for a little while, and then we will see, okay, what's the next original series that's coming out that we need to see? We'll get that one for a month. 
And if there is the, you know, this has the office and this has friends and this has Doctor Who and this has something we really want access to all the time, then we'll keep that one around. But eventually we're going to have to start picking and choosing because it's going to price us out. It already is. I mean, try to get all the streaming services right now, and what you find is you're paying you're paying a lot by the month, and you're paying individually on separate accounts. It gets very complicated. I think this is a problem, but I think it's the biggest problem for Netflix because they're wide. I mean, other than their original series, which look, there have been some serious hits there. What would keep you on Netflix year round is this backlog library. This basically having access to all of these different series and they're being pulled by their content creators so that those creators can create their own mini Netflixes. So why then do you need Netflix outside of, I want to watch Ozark. I want to watch Tiger King. I want to watch this stuff. But once I've watched it, I can move on. That tells me that maybe the next thing that you've got to do if your Netflix is all of a sudden, we're not going to release all of stranger things at the same time. We're going to release it weekly like everybody else does on TV. We're going to stretch it out so that we can at least get another month or month and a half out of you. We're about to see changes here. As I mentioned, Peacock, the NBC Universal deal, which was pushed a little bit because originally it was going to launch and one of the big draws was going to be live Summer Olympics coverage where you didn't have to watch it on delay. And you could go back and hit your favorite events at any time and all this. And that was going to be one of the draws along with The Office and uh, Parks and Rec and 30 Rock and some of that kind of stuff. But you start to think about the propositions that these executives are going to have to make to try and stay ahead of the competition. It's just like cable competing for viewers. There's now, you can look at the FX or the AMC or whatever it is. Now you have a bunch of different networks basically competing for a certain amount of dollars. There's only a certain amount of entertainment dollars that people are willing to shell out or can, and this climate is making it even bigger. We talked about yesterday, I gave you that list of how many people are watching streaming content right now, but that's also disposable income stuff. That's discretionary spending. That's not necessary spending. That's not paying your mortgage, making sure your car isn't repossessed, uh, making sure your children have what they need, making sure you're fed, making sure it's not going to freeze you to death or burn you out of your own house, those are necessities. Those are tent poles. Those are things that you have to do. Past that, everything else is discretionary. It's luxury. Like, if this were a different time, I might have just gone to eBay and found 11 seasons of Doctor Who, probably in a bundle from somebody who was selling them for 80 or 90 bucks. And I'd, I'd probably just say, okay, I'll just do that. But you can't do that now. You have to make choices. You have to make concessions. A lot of things that we're used to aren't there anymore. But if you think of Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO Go right now, which will become HBO Max, or HBO Now, which will become HBO Max, Showtime, Stars, uh, CBS All Access, AMC Premier, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, you know, all of this, that's just some of them. I'm sure that's not all of them. Matter of fact, I know it's not all of them. I mean, if all of those were averaging 10 bucks a month 
and some average more and some average less, you're at $100 right there, and you don't have, at that point, in most cases, local news. You And that's still a draw. You don't have all of the sports that you need. You just have ESPN Plus, basically. So you're still going to have to have something to watch that. There's no, There's not going to be a great solution anymore. So what are you going to do? You are going to look at a schedule month by month. This is what Americans are going to start doing, at least until they figure out this model is untenable and we start to see some of these services collapse or merge with others in order to stay afloat. What people are going to do, in my opinion, is month to month, they're going to decide which service they want the most. Or maybe they say, okay, we're going to have three each month. Like if it's not WrestleMania, WWE Network may go away. If it's not a giant fight, then UFC, and maybe that's not part of your calculus anyway, isn't going to be part of it. Doctor Who might be something you need all the time. It might be one of your comfort foods. It might be one of your blue shows, which is something, a phenomenon I described that I created uh, a few weeks ago. Something can be on in the background of your life. There may be one or two of these that you keep at all times, and then you rotate one other one a month. That way you're still spending around 40 bucks discretionary, and it could increase after a while. But once you get too many streaming services, then something has to go. Like it's going into a music store. You might love every CD that there, which means you're only coming out of there at that point in time with one CD and a bag of microwave popcorn. I don't know why I said that, except that I remember for some reason every music store I went into in the mall in Winston-Salem when I was growing up, for some reason also sold microwave popcorn at the cash wrap up front. But that's what you've got here. This is not going to give you everything. I mean, think about what Spotify offers, for example, or Apple Music, and you pretty much can get 95% of the music that you would ever want just by paying that 15 bucks a month to one of those two services. Now think about whether what would happen if, for example, Electra or Columbia or one of those groups took all of their music off and said, well, here's my Columbia app, and now you get all the Columbia music, but you've got to pay $6.99 a month for that. If everybody did that, all of a sudden you would not have access to all of it because you'd have to make a choice in that case. That's what we're seeing in television right now. That's what we're seeing in media right now. So there is going to be a war in streaming. And this has been mentioned in Wired Magazine. It's been mentioned in Business Insider. It's been mentioned all across the board. There's going to be a war over content. And there's going to be exorbitant money being spent to attract stuff that gets ratings because that makes your product more essential, which is a term that we're all learning about right now essential than other people's content. So when you pay and you see that this HBO Max service, that AT&T paid $500 million for 12 seasons of The Big Bang Theory, it's going to make sense when you see where The Big Bang Theory rated for the last at least nine years of its run on CBS. All these big shows. I mean, what you found out with surveys in the past couple of years is that even with the all the original content and everything that was available on Netflix, the two most streamed things by far were The Office and Friends. And both of them are leaving Netflix. So my first thought is, if you got Netflix stock, 
might be time to start looking elsewhere. And my second thought is we are all about to have to make decisions month to month or at least quarter to quarter about which shows, which pieces of entertainment we want to have access to for that brief window of time. And then it's going to be beat the clock like expiration date on milk so that by the end of the month you can drop that service before they bill you again and then go somewhere else. Which is why another thing you're going to see is annual plans at a major discount. It'll be 12 bucks a month or it'll be, you know, you get it for probably 8 bucks a month, but you pay a year up front to lock you in that way. There's going to be a lot of changes is what I'm saying. And I think that's more fascinating to me than anything currently happening in sports. And I told you I'm not going to waste your time or insult your intelligence. That's what's on my mind. So that's what you just heard. We'll be right back. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on this Wednesday in the Music City. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartradio. You can follow me there. We're brought to you by our good friends at Renner's Warehouse. Hope you're well. Hope your family is well. Hope you're staying healthy and hope you're making the best out of this difficult situation. I gave you the pop culture recommendation for this. is one of the first recommendations from the bunker, but what we do in the shadows, the second season premieres tonight with two episodes on FX. I, I believe it's one of the best shows on TV. First season is on Hulu. I urge you to go watch it. It's very funny in a in a way that a lot of things are unable to capture right now. Some of the content is is it's a little salacious, but you come to expect and have seen much, much, much worse. Uh, my wife and I thoroughly enjoy it. So check that out. Second season begins tonight on FX and then day after it'll show up. The episodes will show up ad free on Hulu. The Odell Beckham story is interesting. It was revealed that there's at least, I don't know if it's speculation about talks or if there are some kind of preliminary discussions. It depends on the source that you seek because I've seen both today. So I'm not going to ascribe to either one that there's talk between the Browns and the Vikings about Odell Beckham going to Minnesota. And I could easily see it happening. I could see him going somewhere other than Cleveland. This is one I did first guess. Now, I don't think that Odell is as big of a problem as Antonio Brown was. I don't. But they are from the same tree. And I said one thing that had... I did a a segment maybe a year ago on why I feel it was that we were seeing such diva behavior from top flight wide receivers in the NFL. And I said it just kind of as common sense. If you think about the one position on the field that would require the most pride to play in the moment, it's wide receiver. Because what happens? A wide receiver and a DB who are also usually louder and more boisterous, your Richard Sherman's, your Josh Norman's, your D'Angelo Hall's, people like that. You see... A lot of talking because there's a lot of talking on the field. When the ball goes in the air, everyone's eyes immediately go to the wide receiver running down the field and the person that's tracking him. And then it's a pride thing. It is a king of the hill thing. Are you going to get it or is the defender going to knock it down? Everybody is watching you. There is an inherent spotlight. There's an inherent you're on stage. Nobody's watching the offensive and defensive linemen Once the ball is in the air, 
you're watching the ball, but then you're looking at where the ball is going to land and you're following those players exclusively. And then it becomes a basically 100% give or take situation outside of PI. Who wins, who loses? It is, it's Lord of the Flies. It's survival of the fittest in that moment. You're either going to be the GOAT, G period, O period, A period, T period, or you're going to be the GOAT, as in not the initials GOAT. So I think that it just breeds this arrogance and this insecurity and this maybe outsized, almost superiority in terms of smack talk. It's because you're trying to convince yourself because you're in the midst of this position. It gets very difficult. It's the same thing you see with politics. I mean, eventually you have the debate between the two candidates. One wins, one loses. It's the same thing. Unless the quarterback overthrows you, you're going to take the blame if you can't make the play. Or the defender's going to take the blame if he can't stop the play. Or the defender will take all the reward if he's able to pick it off or knock it down. So you do see diva mentality because it's a diva position, because it's the one place where pride is most essential at all times in terms of the mentality of the position. So we have Antonio Brown, and we have Des Bryant, and we have Terrell Owens, and we have a lot of these elite-level wide receivers that cause chemistry problems in a locker room. Odell Beckham went to Cleveland, and I said, I don't know about this. And it's the reason why I thought Cleveland was going to miss the playoffs last year before the season began. There were just too many unknowns and too many me-first personalities. I was concerned watching Baker Mayfield during the offseason last year with his reaction to the GQ article, and anytime anybody said anything negative about him, he would fire back. And he fired back in a very immature fashion, in a very selfish, in a very, let's be real, insecure fashion. He has always played with a chip on his shoulder because of how hard it was for him to get where he got, even to Oklahoma. And he should be credited for that. And he was outstanding at Oklahoma. But he still did the kinds of things that were not going to be conducive to good things for his football team. But they were going to put him out front. He likes the attention. He likes being a star. Whether he says otherwise or not, which I don't know that he ever has, he likes being in the limelight. There's no question about it. And so does Odell Beckham Jr. And Odell Beckham Jr. sometimes has reacted like a petulant child. And sometimes he has punched a kicking net. And sometimes he has been caught on video with weird white substances on a pizza box. Like There's a lot of weird things that have gone on here, but I didn't understand why people thought it was going to be magic chemistry between Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield, especially considering you already had another guy that at least had semi-diva tendencies in Jarvis Landry. Remember Bless Him and everything we saw on Hard Knocks? This looked like it was either going to go real well or real bad, and it went real bad. Freddie Kitchens was the wrong guy for that job. He certainly was not somebody they were going to respect. In that spot, it was a bad hire. Never should have been made in the first place. Now you have Stefanski. I I don't know how that's going to work. We know how Cleveland coaches have worked in the past. Mayfield, this is kind of a year where he's going to have to prove a lot because he regressed in terms of his 
level of maturity, if nothing else. And I think he probably regressed in terms of how many people trust him to lead, meaning people in that locker room or people in that front office. Odell Beckham Jr. is never going to help him lead because they're always going to butt heads. You saw multiple people today uh, say that sources have basically said that this is a relationship that's not going to work. And they're trying. They're working hard, apparently. They're, they know that it hasn't worked, and they want it to work, so they're trying to make it work. I read something a couple of days ago about relationships in general. You can apply it to a marriage, you can re- to a close friendship, to a work relationship, whatever it might be. And the general thought coming from it is you cannot see any relationship as zero sum. You can't look at it as a winner and a loser. Meaning, if I compromise to you, that doesn't mean that I have lost because I've given up some piece of me. I've sacrificed. I've given up a desire to you. But if I see it in terms of I've given it up to you, then I'm going to resent you. There's no other way for me to react to it other than thinking, yeah, I did this. I wish I hadn't had to, but I did it for this other person. That's not 100% positive towards the other person. It's a sort of toxic way to view it. You have to see that relationship, that marriage, whatever it is, that partnership, you have to see that as its own entity and that your compromise isn't going to the other party, but is going to the third entity. So instead of Odell Beckham Jr. sacrificing, I don't know, whatever it is that he feels like he has to sacrifice for Baker Mayfield, he's not doing it for Baker. He's doing it for the Browns, for success, for the money that and trust that that organization has put in him. And then you're not resenting the other person. You're doing it for a common goal. And you know that there's going to be at some point, a reciprocal relationship where Baker is also going to have to give. And they're both giving into the same pot, which is not to each other, but to something larger. And you look at two people that I believe walk around with mirrors in front of their faces because all they can see is themselves. If all you see is yourself, then you can never fully give anything because you feel like you're giving You're losing in that process. Whatever you're giving away, you're never going to get back. And you don't have a, you don't have a surplus of it ever. You feel this is the same thing as the Elaine Bennis, the famous Seinfeld episode of no square to spare, which of course takes on new life in the age of COVID-19 and the absence of toilet paper and whatever store it is that you frequent. If that's how you feel if you walk around with a mirror in front of your face. I have no square to spare. Anything I give up means I go from 100% to less than 100%. You have to feel full in something larger than you or you will have no choice but to be selfish because you've got to hold on to every single little thing. When you think of Odell Beckham and you think of Baker Mayfield, do you see two people that look at it for the common goal of the Cleveland Browns Or do you think that every time that they sacrifice anything, they look at it in terms of resentment to who or what they sacrificed it for? I mean, seriously, just answer that question. Think about it. That's why it makes sense for Odell Beckham Jr. to go elsewhere. Because those two personalities both act the same way. And that way is mine, 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 mine.
I still think Baker Mayfield can be a good teammate. And honestly, I think Odell has, I mean, Jeff Schwartz has told me, somebody that was with the Giants organization, told me that Odell wasn't a bad teammate at all. That people enjoyed having him around. So this is not saying he's a terrible teammate. It is saying that these two personalities have a relationship that does not make the other one better because they're too involved in take rather than give. And maybe it's not their entire personality if they're in the right room, but you put two of those powder kegs together and you end up with a Cleveland Browns team that disappointed every expectation, led to a coach being fired, and led to questions about, well, was Baker Mayfield really the guy that we should have hitched our wagon to with the first pick in the draft? And did we really do the right thing by bringing in Odell Beckham? This has opened up a number of different questions, and it all results in the fact that they're not looking for a common good. They are looking for, what can I get out of this? If you're in a relationship looking for personal pleasure or personal satisfaction or fulfillment, if that's the only reason you're in the relationship, anything that then could fracture that, any failure, any disappointment on somebody else's part, Like anytime that you look at somebody and you say, okay, well, they disappointed my expectations for this. Your expectations for them are too high in the first place. So that becomes untenable, disastrous. It'll lead you to walk away from that relationship, to run away from it, or to play the blame game. That, I think, is what one of the underlying causes of what has happened in Cleveland and why maybe Odell is going somewhere else. Is it Minnesota? I, I don't know. Is he still going to be in Cleveland? I don't know that either. But I know that Mary Kay Cabot, who has covered that team for such a long time, uh, says that there is a little bit behind this story for sure. And it would make sense for Minnesota, considering they just lost Stephon Diggs, an elite wide receiver. And if you could bring in an Odell, you do have, I think, a calming quarterback force mentally in Kirk Cousins, who's centered on the right things and is not selfish despite how he wanted to get paid and treated in Washington, where I think he was mistreated in the way that they approached the franchise tagging, maybe that would be a better fit for Odell. I don't know. Would it be a better environment there? I mean, you wouldn't know until you saw it. But finding out that Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. might have a relationship that even as hard as they try, they can't figure out how to repair, it comes down to walking walking around this planet with a mirror in front of their faces where all they see is themselves and what they have to give and how much they can take. We'll be right back. It's the big six on one Oh four, five, the zone. Zone. Welcome back to the big six here on one Oh four, five, the zone. I'm Jason Martin here with you. You can find me on Twitter at jmart radio. So Anthony Fauci, in a Snapchat conversation where there's pieces of it coming out every day, there's going to be a couple more pieces before the end of this week, says that, this is what he says, and he's doing this to Snapchat, Peter Hamby of Snapchat, and now, it, it literally, just, you don't even know where news is even going to come from at this point in time, but here's what he said. He said that the only way sports can come back is in empty buildings. There's a way of doing that, quote, nobody comes to the stadium, put the players in big hotels wherever you want to play, keep them very well surveilled, have them tested every single week, and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family, 
and just let them play the season out, unquote. Fauci is at least starting to relax just a little bit here, which is good to see because I think he's been a little bit off the deep end in the past couple of weeks with the doom and gloom. I mean, you heard my show on Monday. It ain't a hoax, but it is not the dire stuff that people have been saying. It is good that we are starting to see plan. I mean, even Gavin Newsom of California has come out and said, hey, we're looking at a plan to try and get things open. And last week, this is the same guy who was saying, uh, we're not going to be able to play football in this state until after Thanksgiving or have any major events until after Thanksgiving. We're starting to see state and local governments try to look for ways to reopen. And hopefully, we're going to continue to see that. Hopefully, these numbers are going to continue to give them a little bit more comfort in even if it's baby steps baby steps is something i know you can't go from zero to 100 you just can't do that i get it but we got to start looking at how we can go from zero to 20 something anything and so there have been some positive thoughts in the last couple of days but remember we talked about that stillman college of business at seton hall university poll where 72 percent said they won't go back to a sporting event until there's a vaccine. And I said, well, they may never go to a sporting event again because the original SARS still doesn't have a vaccine. Now, eventually funding dropped because the risk became something that didn't seem nearly as important anymore. But this is SARS too. I mean, it's what it is. It's a strain off the SARS virus and There are a lot of illnesses out there, folks, that don't have vaccines, never had vaccines. So that just kind of boggled my mind. And then I tried to look at the 762 respondents in this survey, where they came from. Were they people in these hot spots or are they people from the middle of the country or places that haven't seen giant outgrowths of infection rates and things like that? And I couldn't get that information. Well, now they've done another poll. And this one is related to football. And this same Seton Hall University School of Business says from a 46 to 36 margin, same 762 respondents, maybe it's not the same people, but it's 762 yet again. 46% do not think the NFL should open the season on time. 36 say it should. 18 should have no opinion or have no opinion. And it's a 3.6% margin of error. 77% said delay the start of the football season if college and NFL players don't have time to get in shape the way that they have in years past. Now, the season begins on September 10th in Kansas City unless something changes. Off-season workout program has changed. We know... College, all of that stuff has been shut down in terms of face-to-face stuff and camps and uh, spring football and all that kind of thing. But, again, I just want to look at the makeup of this poll. Of those polled, 37% say they follow sports closely, 17% very closely, 26% not closely, and 20% not at all. That means... 46%, nearly half of those polled, either don't follow it closely or don't follow it at all. One-fifth of the poll doesn't follow it at all. Do you think, possibly, that of that 46%, there's a large percentage that 
because they don't feel sports is all that important to them anyway, then yeah, keep it shut down for the good of blah, blah, blah. Don't you think that those that follow sports closely are more likely to be bullish on getting things started again, feel more positively about it, feel more optimistically about it, or want it to happen because they actually want to see it happen? I think sometimes we look at polls and we don't look at the makeup of them. At least we know the sports predilections of those polled in this survey this time. But if we're doing the empty arena thing, I think the horse tournament, I think WrestleMania, I think I think we're in for a rude awakening. Because I think empty building sports is not going to it ain't gonna work. It's just not. The ratings numbers might be okay at first and then they're gonna trickle away. Because what we have learned is that atmosphere matters and matters a lot. College football has the best atmosphere in all sports. Bar none, from top to bottom, especially SEC and some of the big schools, Big Ten, things like that. And they have some of the highest ratings. NFL has a pretty good atmosphere. Their ratings are off the charts. The NFL is a self-sustaining, self, you know, just off the charts kind of proposition. It's its own, it's a monolith. Baseball atmosphere isn't what it was. Hockey atmosphere is very regionalized. We're lucky in Nashville of what it looks like on TV when they show Bridgestone Arena. But atmosphere does matter. When you see these people performing in empty buildings, you just don't have the same level of enthusiasm. I'm not saying you're putting an asterisk by anything that happens in an empty building. I am saying that the memories of it aren't going to last. And I think the commissioners know this. Donald Trump put a lot of pro sports commissioners and owners like Cuban and Jerry Jones as part of this economic task force. Trump, a sports fan, also recognizes, I think, or some people in his administration do, that sports means a lot to the economy. I said that, yeah, it's an escape, but it's an escape that's created a ton of jobs, advertising revenue. Um, just, I mean, think about all that goes into just a Titans game. You know, all of the various people that are associated with getting a Titans game on, all the money that is involved, both produced and consumed by putting one regular season game on at Nissan Stadium. The economy, a lot of this economy can be greatly enhanced by what sports can do when it is at its apex or really rolling. We got used to sports just always being there for such a long time that we don't – I think we got some kind of – we got too far away from how important it actually was to the underlying economy. These large events, sports as part of culture, they're part of the way you feel. I think they're part of your attitude. They're part of what makes you feel like America. You think of what? Baseball and apple pie? Now it's probably football and apple pie. And you could probably add a couple of other things to that list. But there are things that have just always helped us feel uniquely American. And it's the same thing about how soccer slash football makes people feel across the world. And maybe baseball in Japan and, and some of these other places. Sports is a uniter. And I think it's a business indicator. It just is. 
it felt like the economy was better when the NFL wasn't tanking. As the numbers started to rise a little bit, you started to feel a little bit better about the condition of the country. The other thing that is uniquely just culturally significant to the economy, small businesses. And that's where my fear is. And that's where most of my prayers are right now. Not with, oh, Lord, bring me back the NBA. It's please don't let everything in downtown Franklin never come back because they didn't have the capital on hand to bring it back. That's why it's good that we're starting to see solutions in some of these states. And we're not just on this indefinite, we're never going to come back or we can't come back until we're at a number zero. And we're starting to see better things. What Fauci's saying at least is, here's how we can get sports back. And then he said, I want to see the Nationals again in person. He, I think the empty arena thing still won't feel like it's fully back, but at least we're making steps in the right direction. We are not just assuming that there's not going to be a football season. We are saying, here are the ways in which maybe we can have a football season. Anything right now feels like a positive step. I know we can't take Neil Armstrong giant leaps on the moon, but baby steps I think would go so far in our own minds and hearts in just feeling like, okay, now we are all committed to the same goal, which is we got to get America back to being America. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Download. Final segment of the program this evening here on The Big Six, abbreviated as we went long in a couple of segments earlier. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for being a part of my audience since the beginning here, certainly with the uh, Big Six brand, which started not last summer, but the summer before, and looking for good things in the future, to say the least. I'm on Twitter at jmartradio. My name is Jason Martin. Another recommendation from The Bunker. Here's one that I wrote about and have evangelized about for a long period of time that just popped up on Netflix. It was available in other places in the past, I think at times Hulu had it. Uh, I think they actually released a couple of extra seasons of it on Amazon. But it's Community, Dan Harmon's show from NBC with Joe McHale and Gillian Jacobs and Allison Bree and Danny Pudi and Ken Jong and John Oliver and Jim Rash uh, and Chevy Chase. I mean, the list goes on and on. Donald Glover. A lot of the names that I just mentioned were not household names, but are now because of Community. Now, Community was never a highly rated show, but it's very unique in its approach. It definitely had a little bit of the Goldbergs in terms of themed episodes based on certain pieces of pop culture because Community was basically a show through one of the characters, Abed's eyes, in terms of how he saw everything and was able to relate to people based on television shows he'd seen or games he played or movies he'd watched because he has some brand of Asperger's syndrome and was on the autism spectrum. So he wasn't great with personal relationships. And the Abed character, while not a 100% comparison to the creator, Dan Harmon, was a partial. Uh, the Abed character was basically one version of how Dan Harmon saw himself. And if you read into Dan Harmon and read into his biography, you'll see that that character kind of informs what community was. And certainly, it wasn't just about Abed, but I think that um, Troy and Abed, meaning Donald Glover and Danny Pudi, are probably the two characters that stand out the most in terms of 
just being more relatable, like everybody had their own eccentricities and you may actually gravitate to somebody else, whether it's Jeff Winger, Joel McHale's character or anybody else. And all of them had some zaniness about them, but this was a, this was an amazing ensemble cast and this show was so well written and it was fearless. It was unafraid in the way it treated serious stuff and not serious stuff like darkest timelines based on Dungeons and Dragons games and things of that nature, again, through Abed's eyes. And it was able to take television, I think, from even what we were seeing from Modern Family and The Office and 30 Rock and shows like that, of which I have nothing really negative to say other than I think maybe all of the ones I just mentioned. Sans 30 Rock and maybe even 30 Rock ran too long. Modern Family came to an end last week. Uh, I stopped watching it at least three years ago because I had seen enough. Not because it wasn't good, but because, okay, I get it. And one, I had one storyline on the show I was still invested in. And when they kind of moved on from that, I moved on from the show. Community ran... Only three seasons on NBC, and it was basically a Friday Night Lights or a Chuck kind of show that just didn't it just didn't attract an audience. It was never really publicized. Community was sort of the stepchild on Thursday nights. It was the one that ran first. It was the one that didn't have a lead-in, per se, and they were focused on trying to get people watching Parks, trying to get people to watch The Office, trying to get people to watch 30 Rock. They weren't really concerned about Community, so Community kind of fell by the wayside. Community and its five seasons are phenomenal TV. Even when it moved off of NBC, it was still very, very good. And they were able to go even further when they went off of NBC. But that's a very funny show that is the very definition of an escape, but a smart escape. The jokes are not necessarily obvious or lowbrow. It's a very dialogue-heavy show where you have to pay attention to some of the Things that are going, you got to pay attention to the details to fully appreciate it all. But it is a great blue show. I said there's red shows and blue shows. Red shows are the ones you got to stop and pay attention to. The blue ones are the ones you can have on in the background of your life. First time you watch Community, it's somewhere between a red and a blue show. You're going to want to pay attention to it. Second time through, you can just watch it and enjoy it. So that's my recommendation for you. Now that it's on Netflix, I think more of you have access to it than have in the past. But Community is a brilliant, brilliant show that's super unique and super original, and you will really enjoy it if you have not checked it out. I wrote on it. Maybe I'll actually tweet that piece out. Dan Harmon actually uh, retweeted that piece when I first wrote it and thanked me for writing it. Community is just one of those shows that's definitely on. It made my top 10 of all time in comedy. It will never drop off that list. It just won't. It's absolute brilliance. Check out Community, now available on Netflix. That's your recommendation from The Bunker. I'll see you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night from the Music City.